My desire is always that, you know, it, as Peter says several times within his two letters, uh, we need to live in these last days uh, with the intent toward the world that what God is doing in us is for the good of this world. And he, he's raised us up to be um, a demonstration, um, a voice. And even as we talk about things that they ridicule, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. They can laugh at it. They can try to put it aside all they want to. I, it's got to be, as the scripture says, somewhat like the days of Noah. When they just went on with their life, and yet the flood was coming. So let's look at this. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, and uh, we'll be starting in verse 11. And hopefully, you got uh, enough of your notes. I've got a lot of scriptures in your notes today. Uh, just because there are a lot of things that we want to back up with what the Word of God says, um, not what we think or feel. So, Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne. We've read this passage several weeks now. And him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead. This is where we're going to focus on. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Circle the S in books. Books were opened. Then another book, notice that there's no S after this, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Circle the S according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to what they had done. The phrase had done in the Greek language is their works, according to their works. So, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So they were taken out of Hades, right? Raised, raised up to stand before the throne. Hades was empty, I guess, except for angels, demons that would have been there, and thrown into the lake of fire. And then all of the dead were thrown into the lake of fire. All of these who are raised up here are thrown into the lake of fire. doesn't say anything about any of them receiving life. They're all dead when they were raised, and they're dead when it's over. This is the second death. All right? We could also refer to it as the second resurrection. The first resurrection is our resurrection, faith in Jesus Christ. And so we were raised to life when we believed in Jesus Christ. We died with him and raised to life with him and seated with him Amen. in heaven. So that's accomplished. 
So when it comes to this scene here with the great white throne, we're just spectators. We're not part of the dead. We are the living. We're alive forever in Jesus Christ. And we'll back that up with some other passages as we go. But then people say, well, what happens to the believers? Uh, doesn't the Bible say they're going to be judged? Well, yes, there's a judgment for believers. But it's different. And let's see why. All right, so this confusion is over this issue. A lot of, a lot of Christians still believe that they're going to have to be evaluated here and their works are going to be judged. And according to whether you've done good or bad, you know, when I was growing up as a child and I was part of the Lutheran church, I, I believed that there was this, this promise in the book of Revelation, but my, my whole thing was, you know, I'm doing a lot of bad in my life right now, but later on I'll start doing some good. And ultimately my good will outweigh my bad. And so we get the idea of God weighing out good versus bad. And if you got more good than you got bad, then you get into heaven. Doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere. You know where that comes from? One of the oldest religions in the world, the Egyptian religion. Where your good was weighed against a feather. And so all the good that you did in service to the gods was weighed against the weight of a feather. And so, you know, you had to, you had to be good. So, this confusion is only answered by looking at Scripture. All right, so the great white throne... I put this statement down there. Believers will face the Bema seat, reward bench, which we'll talk about after we talk about the great white throne. I want to talk about judgment first and then rewards. I just thought that was a better way to go. All right. So uh, at the great white throne, there is only death. They're dead when they're raised and they're dead when it's over. There's only death. No believers will face this judgment. At the Bema seat of Christ, there is only reward. Only believers will face this judgment. Because the Bema seat is a judgment, but we'll talk about it uh, as, as we come to that section. All right? So, the Great White Throne, the place of fearful judgment. And again, like I said, you've got to pay attention to the singular and plural in these words. And it is, if you want to know, you can check it out if you have a Greek interlinear or you read Greek. Um, you can check it out, and it is, in the Greek language, plural versus a singular book of life, another book. So the first thing, it says all the dead, small and great. There's no one that's going to be eliminated from this. The only ones who aren't in this judgment are those who are already in heaven. And how are Old Testament believers in heaven? How did they get to heaven? Old Testament believers. By believing in what? In the Messiah. In the hope 
of a Messiah, a substitute. They believe there was going to be a substitute. This sacrifice is just to remind me that there's somebody's got to die for me. And that somebody is the promised seed that God gave the word to Eve. And that promised seed will defeat, and in him I will have eternal life. My kinsman, my redeemer, he's the one who is the hope of their nation. And so there's many different ways that the Messiah is referred to in the Old Testament. But faith in that Messiah, not not faith in the law, not keeping the law. Because you couldn't keep enough of the law. You can't keep 613 commandments. You can't keep them. And a third of those commandments have to do with sacrifices. So if you're not burning sacrifices, <laughs> you're still going to fail. Because no one can come to salvation, righteousness, through the law. And we'll see that established here in just a second all the dead small and great doesn't make how good you were how important you were what kind of authority you had in life whether you were well known or little known whether you're short or tall small and great uh, i don't know what but no one is eliminated from this Small and great were brought before him, and books were opened. I don't know much what that would be like. You know, we're going to observe it, but what if, you're, what if you're in that arena? We won't be, but suppose you were in the place of one of those people down there. How many books do you think there are? Oh, my goodness. Do you ever see pictures of, like, the Library of Congress? See pictures of these huge libraries. I got a picture that it's some library in Spain. Um, again, someplace I'd like to visit if I ever got to Spain. I, I mean, this the picture of this. It's all, it's a circular library, and it is stacked with these books. And you've got these different ladders to different balconies to get all those books. It's not going to come close to this because. The books of my works would fill up an awful lot of it, but anyway. <laughs> All the works. All your works. Listed there. And the dead were judged by the books. But see, there was another book that was opened. So here's all these books. The dead are standing there. With all these books, and then somewhere in the scene, another book is opened. Books, a book. And this is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. They didn't even get to the book of life. Because the book of life is only for believers. Old Testament through faith in the Messiah, New Testament, faith in Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, faith in the Messiah, if they were Jewish, faith in Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. Same person, by the way. Just make sure I 
cleared that up in your minds. I know. You all know that. But notice what it says. They're judged according to what was written in the books. And here's the thing. According to what they had done. The word according in the Greek language is just a small word, kata, K-A-T-A. And it means under the weight of or under the the um, approval of. According to or under the authority of their works. Now, it says here what they had done, but the Greek just simply says the works of them. And so this, this works, they're not judged by the book of life, but by the book of works according to what they had done or their works. Galatians 2.16, bottom of your page, says, We know that a person is not justified. We know. So Paul writes that to the Galatians as if, and he's got trouble with them anyway, but he says, we know. We're supposed to know this. Every Christian should know this. Every believer should know this. We know that we are not justified by our works. Not works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. So because that's how we're going to be judged, this is what we do. We're going to believe in Jesus Christ. That's where our judgment rests. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? That is the one single thing. Nothing else will send you to hell except believing in Jesus Christ or not believing in Jesus Christ. That is the defining issue. Yeah, but I did it. We'll, we'll look at the verse. Yeah, but what? We'll look at that. Doesn't matter. What else does it say? And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's pretty much said it three different times in that one verse. He says it again one more time in the next verse. So, all this judgment, they didn't even get to the book of life because they're not there. All right, let's go on top of your next page, verse 13. Revelation twenty thirteen says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades, hell. What I refer to Hades as the waiting room for the lake of fire. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done or according to their works, under the authority of, under the weight of what they had done. All the dead were judged. The sea. You think, yeah, but these people lost in the sea. How's, how's God going to find them? God knows. I thought about this, and Jan asked me the question about it, about the dead receiving a kind of resurrection body. But just like our resurrection body will be fit for us to experience the new heaven and the new earth, which starts in the next chapter, 
The reason God gives us this new body is so that we can, we can tangibly with a body that has been glorified, recreated to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, made to be like Him, conformed to His image, so that we can experience eternal heaven and the glory of God and a new earth fit to live on a new earth that is not subject to the physics of the world that we live in. We get a new body. On the other hand, the dead, you know what? They get a new body too. But their body is fit to endure eternal hell so that their body will never be consumed. Their body will never pass away. Their body will never come to an end. Eternal torment. And the torment goes on, the scripture says, forever and ever. So if you didn't get forever, add and ever to it. Their torment goes on. So they need some kind of a body, and God raises them up, gives bodies to those in the sea, gives bodies to those who have been brought up out of, out of Hades. And again, they're judged what? According to what was in them. Now, he moves on from there. And if there, anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, their name's in the book of works. No question about that. Volumes of individual lives in the book of works. But if their name was not found, whew, Jesus didn't find my name in the book of works. Whew, hallelujah. No, has nothing to do with that. God's not going to look for your name in the book of works. Why? Because your name is where? Written in the book of life. You've been written in the book of life. Inclusion in this book of life is the deciding factor. Are you in this book? How do you get in the book? Through believing in Jesus Christ, believing in the Messiah. Your name is written in the book. And then it's not just written. The promise is made that it will never at any time come under the possibility of being blotted out what it says never come to the possibility it's not well it might be hope i don't get blotted out you might get blotted out no if it's written in there there is no possibility that it will ever be blotted out that's the promise that jesus makes and then not only that what else you're sealed with the holy spirit of promise who's been given to you for how long and he shall abide with you for how long forever Okay, if the Holy Spirit is abiding forever in the life of a believer, only in believers, and he's there forever, and he is the seal by which your name is in the book of life, is there any possibility that you would not be there? None. Because the Holy Spirit has been given for how long? Not till you commit a certain sin. Not till you do this. Not in case you whatever... No, there's no in case, there's no hypothetical. It's your name is in the book 
forever. Sealed by the Holy Spirit who is in you forever. Whew. Praise God. That's all good news. So if anyone's name was not written, how many of those people that have been raised at the great white throne, how many of those people's name is not in the book of life? All of them. (laughs) There's none of them. Otherwise, what? They wouldn't be there. (laughs) They'd be in heaven with us. They're not there. So if their name was not there, they are what? Throw into the lake of fire. No one escapes. No one escapes. No one is justified. Nobody in all of the works that they've done and all the things that they point out, if there's even an option for you to, to you know, present your case before the Lord, which I'm not believing that there is, doesn't say, but but then we've got this passage in Matthew 7, I want to look at here just a second. No one is justified, no one is found innocent. Now, there's a couple of verses that I forgot to write in here. I want you to look at, um, let's go first to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew seven twenty-one, And in this, this passage is, you know, we... We are familiar with this, but this fits into this case situation. Jesus makes a statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I thought if I believed. No, he didn't say believed. He said, says to me. It's easy to say. Jesus is Lord. Which is why I don't believe doing that on the streets when I'm witnessing to people. Just say Jesus is Lord and you're saved. No, they're not. Anybody can say that. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of my Father? Is that the law? No. What's the will of the Father? That you believe in the only begotten Son. That's the will of the Father. If you don't do the will of the Father, you won't have an option. The only ones who are in the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of the Father. That is, believing in the only true Son of God, Jesus Christ. And on that day, many will say, many are going to come. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't didn't we do some of this stuff? Yes, so did the seven sons of Sceva. But they weren't believers. They offered their works. That's exactly what they did. They tried to defend themselves with their works. See, we only think of works as, well, I didn't, I, I didn't lie, I always told the truth, I didn't commit murder, I always loved people. But no, their works came down to these things. I prophesied, I, I cast out demons, I, I did miracles, mighty works, in your name. 
I did all these things. Listen to Jesus' response. And then I will declare to them, oh, this, this is the exact words of Jesus. Don't, don't say, well, some theologian might say that. No, this is not a theologian. This is not one of the apostles writing this, though they wrote truthfully also. This is Jesus himself declaring to them, I, what? Never, never knew you. And that word never knew you, and again in the Greek, is one of those uh, never come into the situation where I knew you. Never. There was, there was never a relationship. You knew my name. You knew some of the words that I had given. You knew some of the commands that I had told. You know the stories. But I never knew you. Never knew you. It's not your works didn't mat up. It's not you didn't have enough. It's not, yeah, but you failed in this thing. Well, yeah, you did for a while, but then you quit. No, there's none of that. None of that comes up. I never knew you. Not I started and I forgot you. Not you were written in the book of life, but your name got blotted out. I don't know how that happened. I, I spilled a drink, you know, and it, some of the ink erased or something, you know. No, there's nothing. It's, it's I never knew you. Depart from me. Workers, workers of lawlessness. Whatever they did, saying it was in Jesus' name, only added to their sin. It did nothing for God. One last passage. Go to John chapter 5. We've read this verse, but we'll go back to it. John chapter 5. Again, the words of Jesus. I'm going to start in verse 19. John 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. So God was doing things through Jesus so people could walk around with their mouth hanging open. What? How? The people were supposed to marvel at what the Son was doing. Father, As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, that's going to be us. So also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's why we talked about, though the Godhead is present at this great white throne, it is the Son who is the um, judge executioner. The Father does not honor... Uh, all that the Son will see. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. If we don't accept His only begotten Son as Savior, 
we are not honoring the Father. Truly I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, he, the one who believes, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He does not come into what? Judgment. You're not there. You're not at the white throne. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What's this? The dead in sin. The dead in their sin. You were dead in your sin and you heard the voice and you believed. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to resurrection of life. What do you have to do to do good? What is doing good? Believing in the only true Son of God. And those who have done evil, which is what? Not believing. And if you don't believe, then all your works get judged. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All right, so that's the white throne judgment. Who lives? No one. No one. Because they're judged according to the books of works. But the book of life, that's us. Okay, so now what about the people who are in the book of life? This is where we come to the reward bench, or it's called in the in the scriptures called the Bema, B-E-M-A, long E. B-E-M-A, Bema. The Bema in Greek culture, the Bema was a platform. It was somewhere in the middle of town, usually somewhere close to the governmental um, assembly, sometimes right in front. And it was a, a tiered platform so that there could be different levels on, on the tiers. And those who had done great civil service could sometimes be brought to the Bema, and they would be given a wreath, an olive or laurel wreath. Something like that was placed upon their head. Um, maybe you had done something incredibly um, good in, the, in military service, to honor. Um, sometimes it was after death. People were honored even after their death, and there, there was something there, maybe a plaque or maybe their clothing was put there, and the reef was laid on top of that to honor even those who had done good and, and died in service to the country. And so there was an honor given. It's a, a reward. You could be brought there uh, for uh, athletic Competition. We still have that. The Olympics. They have the tiered steps. Uh, the other day I was watching Formula One racing, and they have the same thing. And the, the drivers get up there and in their positions, and there's the top level, and then the next steps down. And so there is the gold, silver, and bronze. Well, in the Greek Olympics, there was gold and nothing else. There was no second place. 
There was no third place. You either won or you lost, which is still what? Still true. Yeah, you won or you lost. You know, second place is just the first loser. <laughs> so, you know, but everybody got a participation award. Even those who watched, no. All right, so this Bema was the place where good was evaluated. Now, you could be brought to the Bema and have rewards removed. That you were supposed to have done something in civil service or in military service, and you did not. And so your reward could be removed at the Bema. Uh, maybe you had won your Olympic event, but then they found out that you had cheated, you had not fulfilled all the rules, you had not done all the things you were supposed to do, and so you were stripped of the glory. Another word for glory in the New Testament is the word honor, the honor that goes with it. You can win your Olympic event, but if you did something to be disqualified, you are dishonored. Right, And so that could happen. And so things that you were supposed to have done, you did not. And so something could be taken away. But no one was executed. This was not a place of, of judgment in um, civil or criminal issues. It was just a place to reward service. To reward, <laughs> here's the word, participation. Right? What have you done? As a citizen, what have you done? You were raised up to be a, a, a counselor or a senator, and, and you've done nothing for your people. All you've done is enriched yourself. Well, we're going to take that away. Your, your life is spared. There's no question. You're still a citizen. None of those things are lost, but your rewards Am I getting that? Your rewards are lost. So, go with me. Then, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul writes, So whether we are at home or away, he's talking about in this body or out of this body, whether home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, once we have died and been resurrected, I may think, our only aim will be to please him. <laughs> that's, that's what we'll be doing. But in this life, is that our aim? To please him? I'm not asking you to incriminate your neighbor. Um, that should be our aim, to please him. And if you thought about that before every time you opened your mouth or did something or got out of bed in the morning... You know, whatever, my only aim today is to please him. It would, it would have a big difference in our life, but we don't think that way. But we make it our aim to please him. Let's, now, I'm going to continue with verse 10 in just a minute, but let's read some, in a sense, filling verses, verses that fill up some of this. Now, these are long passages, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in them, uh, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 and Paul writes, and yes, I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. Ashamed where? At the Bema. That I'm not going to lose reward. That what I did counted. Instead of God gave me something to do and I did not. It's getting really quiet in here. But that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, and you should read it that way with a pause after the word to me. For to me, in other words, this is my decision. Don't read it for to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not what it says. To me, to live is Christ. In other words, I've made that determination. To live is Christ. I don't know where everybody else is, but to me, Paul says, to live is Christ. And to die is gain, reward, a step up. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I'm going to live here, then I'm going to labor. And it's going to be productive, fruitful labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Am I pressed between the two? My desire is to depart and be with Christ. <laughs> That's far better. That is what? Far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, for me to stay here is for you. Because the longer I stay here, the more I'm going to do in fruitful labor for him, but in your life. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In other words, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay here because of you. It's for your good. And I'm going to believe that God is going to use me for your good. Other than that, I'd be happy to be out of here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul prays this for the Colossian church and believers. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. You can't do his will if you don't know his will. So, look at verse 10. So as to be, so as to walk in a manner worthy. If you don't know the knowledge of his will, you can't walk in a manner worthy. So we need to know the, have the knowledge of God's will. What does God want for you to do? Not what does he want for me to do. What does he want for you to do? What's he want out of your life? To walk in the knowledge of his will, fully pleasing to him. That's how we please him, walking in his will. Bearing fruit in every good work. That's what we want to do, because if we're walking in his perfect will, we'll be walking in good works. And increasing in the knowledge of God. So we continue to grow. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And so we'll have the strength and the power we need to fulfill his work with endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. God 
has given you this glorious privilege. If we know his will, then we can walk in this way being fruitful, fulfilling his purposes, doing, as Paul said, to me, to live as Christ. That's what it means. The Christ be honored. Christ be honored in all that I do so that I am walking in the fullness of his will. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, top of page 3. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, you, uh, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How you ought to walk and to please God. But you know, if you haven't read the letter, you don't know. If you don't read the books, you don't know. Too many believers know verses, but they don't know books. One of my things that I have given myself to is I read through a letter of the New Testament. I read them as a book. I don't stop to study. In my devotion time, I take a book and I read it to the end. Most of them I can read in a morning. Book of Colossians takes maybe 30 minutes at the most. Philippians, Ephesians, eh, 30, 45 minutes, depending how you read. Hmm. Not with your mind numb, but reading the words. Because I don't want to just know verses. So many believers... We know verses, but we don't know books. Paul didn't write verses. He wrote books. And if you want to get more information, find somebody who teaches on the books. Pastor Bob's right here. You can order his books anytime you want. But I can't please God if I don't know what's in his word. So I've got to study his word. Now, concerning the rest, <clears throat> the rest of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So he said, we all, our aim is to please the Lord. For we must all, everybody say all. all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment is the word bema. The bema of Christ. That reward bench that each may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, as long as I've been in his body. Because once I'm out of this body, then it's done. There's no works in heaven. I know that there are Christian faiths that believe that the saints in heaven are doing things, and we can ask the saints to do things for us, and saints are carrying messages for us. and doing. No, they're not. It's only what you've done in this life. In this body that matters. That we might receive in our body. Whether, what, don't Paul stop right there. Just what he's done in his body. And Why did you have to finish this sentence? Whether good or evil. Wait a minute, I'm a believer, I can't do evil. Really? Really? Can I ask your spouse? Can I ask your kids? Yeah, okay, right. Don't do evil. 
yeah, we can. Psalm 62, verse 11, kind of goes along with this. Once God has spoken twice before I've heard this, power belongs to God. God is sovereign. <laughs> right there it is. God is sovereign. Power belongs to him. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That's an important word. That's why I highlighted it in your notes. Steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. See, God is going to give us according to our work. But notice who the work here is referring to. Those who belong to his steadfast love. Steadfast love is covenant love. It's the Hebrew phrase for the covenantial relationship which people have. Covenant love. And so this covenant love then belongs to believers. And believers are going to be rewarded according to their works. Old Testament and New Testament both say the same thing. Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... Now see, the dead are judged at the great white throne, which is at the end of the millennium. But... The believers are judged when? So that in the day of Christ, the day of Christ is the day of the rapture. See, there's the day of the Lord, which is the second coming. But there's the day of Christ, which is the rapture. So that at the day of Christ, I may be confident that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, that my works counted. That what I did was for good. That I did not run in vain. I didn't run with empty purpose. When I ran the quarter mile, when I was able to do that, when I ran that, I ran with purpose. You have to. You don't just kind of get out there and lazily run around. You're not going to win any reward. You got to run with purpose. Now, when they put me on the cross-country team, yeah, I ran without any. I didn't care if I finished or not. If there was a way to cut the course, I'd cut the course. I hated, I hated the marathon. I hated it. Love people who run the marathon. Again, thank you very much. That's, oh. All right. That I may be confident that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Our labor will be complete at the time of either the death or rapture. Our rewards will be recognized based on what we have done in this life. Right here. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. See, the, the ability to work, the ability to do what God has called me to do, comes from the fact that God gives me that ability. And he that began a good work in me We'll bring it to completion. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, the Greek word poeme, poem, a, a, a work of art. That's what poem is. It's, it's a work of art. Do you know you're a work of art? You're God's poem. You're a work, singular work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But if I don't know his will, I can't walk in his, work, his purposes, his plans for me. So I'll be walking 
doing stuff, but that's not his stuff. And that's going to be a reward, but it's not what I'm going to like. Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Folks, that's a verse in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Work out your own salvation. The Greek word work out means carry it to its goal. Carry it all the way to the goal. Don't carry it part way. Work out. In other words, God put salvation in me. Wholeness. That's what the Greek word really means. Wholeness. Healing. Deliverance. Ability. God put all of that in me. I've got to do what? Bring it to the outside so I can carry it to its goal. Work out from within. All the way to the end. So he says, work out your own salvation, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, that's, that's in me. But I've got to listen. I've got to follow. I've got to hear. I've got to know what it is that God wants me to do. I don't just go out and do what I want. Listen to the words of Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Revelation 2, verse 9. Revelation 2, verse 13. Revelation 11, uh, verse 13 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 8. And Revelation 3, verse 15. Seven times Jesus said, I know your works. First, the word know is the Greek word oida. And oida means perfect knowledge. Absolute knowledge. I know you're here. How do I know you're here? I can see you. <laughs> you present. So, Oida is perfect knowledge. Has nothing to do with learning. Has nothing to do with experience. It has everything to do with the perception of what is there. Oida. Perfect knowledge. I know. The word works. We'll, we'll take this to John's definition. In John 14, verse 12, where he's quotes Jesus. So this is Jesus' definition. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Consistently in John's writing, in the gospel, in his first, second, and third letters, and in the book of Revelation, works have to do with what you have done with the Spirit that God has given you. What have you done with the Holy Spirit? God gave you the spirit to do works. What are you doing with it? And that is on what you will be rewarded. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If anyone builds on the foundation, the foundation of your life, the foundation of your salvation, if anyone builds on that salvation with gold, silver, and precious stone. In other words, your salvation is the foundation. And the foundation is never going to come into question. What's going to come into question is what you built. What did you build upon the salvation that God has given you? What have you done with the spirit that God has given? What have you done with his purposes and his plans for your life? You can build with gold, silver, and precious stones. How many think that's good? 
Yeah, that's all good. Or you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. Well, you can live in, most of our houses are made out of wood, right? I mean, wood's okay. You can build with wood. I'm not sure I'd want in a house built with hay. You know, and definitely not straw because then it's just been robbed of all the strength that's in it. So wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. What day? Not the great white throne. The day of Christ. Where everything will be made manifest in believer's life. So at the rapture begins the Bema. Where Christ begins to evaluate. I don't know if it takes place for the seven years or it takes place in an instant. I have no idea. All I know is it's it started at the day of Christ. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by what? Fire. Okay, so I built with wood, but it's going to be judged by fire. Okay, that's not good. I built with gold. That's okay, because all fire will do is purify that. Silver, the stones. Nothing happens to them, but fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if your work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, if it gets through the fire, you'll receive a reward. On that reward bench, your work, because it was gold, silver, or precious stone, will be rewarded. Don't ask me to qualify what's gold, what's silver, what's precious stone. He means all of them to be of the same benefit. Right? They're good. However, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, why? Why is it burned up? Because it was wood, hay, or stubble. You did things, but they weren't his things. You did things with the wrong motive. So you gave thousands of dollars in the offering, but it was to get attention so that you could be the chief giver in the church and tell the pastor what he needs to do. You say, people don't do that. Uh, <laughs> ask anyone who's been a pastor. Yeah, they do. And you, you do this thing. You do this to get people's attention. You did it so that people would praise you. That's wood, hay, and straw. But if you gave even a penny in his name out of your heart. That's gold, silver, and precious stone. It's up to us. Though he, what's it say? He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He'll get there, but his rewards have been what? Stripped. It's like that athlete who's disqualified doesn't change the fact that he ran all right now i don't have time to go through the rest of what i put on their chapter or page four good works versus good works there's two kinds of good works good works versus good works and then the section on believers crowns um i gave you lots of scriptures in there you can kind of study through those i'll make some mention of these uh, at the beginning of our next session but pretty much that's the conclusion of our 80 hours of teaching, right? Through chapter 20. And in our next session, we will start with the new heaven and the new earth. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through those two chapters. It's just a few verses. 
but it is it it is eternal. I'm just saying, you know. Just saying. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the promise. We will not come into judgment. For we who have believed in your name have passed from death to life. But we are surrounded by people who will face death. Father, help us to not all not only have the passion, but have the words to speak to them that will somehow just begin to make an opening in their life that they might receive the gospel and believe in the only true Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it gives us. Thank you for the promises. Father, you you put all this together so masterfully. In your word, you have given us every encouragement, every comfort, every challenge that we might know and understand the fullness of your plan for us. Father, as I pray for these here, that we might be open to come to the knowledge of your will in our life, in every circumstance, in every situation, that you be praised. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a supplement to my teaching from last night. I wanted to finish up the uh, about 10 minutes of uh, completing this lesson on rewards, um, dealing with extension from the great white throne judgment. As we... We talk about the great white throne, that is the judgment of unbelievers, which we've been covering. But then comes the question of rewards for believers and their place of judgment. And as we, we found, that's, that's uh, given to us <clears throat> in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But that's not the white throne that is the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, long E, Bema seat, uh, which was a place of reward or loss of reward. And so the thing that Paul is presenting here is that every believer, as we were saying, will face that. And that occurs, as he says also, that this will take place on the day of Christ which is the day of the rapture. So uh, does that all take place in that one time? Every believer evaluated for rewards? Does it take seven years for all that evaluation? I don't know. It just says in the day of Christ. With God, since time is meaningless, um, could it all occur at the very same time, almost in an instant that we are... Uh, evaluated and rewarded, um, yes. And I believe that that probably will be the case. But again, that's my feeling from that passage. Others feel that it will uh, progress over a period of time. But there's really no indication. And so this rewarding would be based on the things that we have done in this life, whether good or bad, as as it says it there, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. 
So then, as we come to this time of reward, then those who have labored for the Lord, and our labor was not in vain, it was not meaningless, uh, it was not empty of purpose, uh, we did it with the right motive, with the right heart, we did it in the right way, whether it was received or not, whether it was productive or not, is not the issue. The fact is, we did it. Whether whether we witnessed to people and they received the Lord, we're not we're not honored because they did. We're honored because we witnessed. And so, uh, in all of the work that we do, we give. So so the person that we give to squanders what we give. We're rewarded for the heart of giving that we had, not the amount. The amount we give is not the issue, uh, but we're not giving to get attention. We're not getting to get position. We're not giving to get um, something in return. No, we're giving out of a heart of love, out of a heart of devotion, out of a heart of charity that we want to uh, give to the church, give to the ministry, give to those in need, and the Lord rewards those quote, good works. So now what I want to look at is the issue of good works versus good works. So this is page four in your notes, and this is where I I did not get finished in my session last night, so I wanted to add this uh, so that it is completed. There are good works, and there are good works. Good works are things we do out of what God has given us. But good works before salvation will get you nothing. And so those are the two things that we're going to look at. Uh, We're going to go back to a verse we have already covered, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16, Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, no matter how much good we do that the law demands out of us. Remember the greatest the greatest command Jesus gave, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So you do that. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, if, we, if we give our body to be burned, even if we sacrifice our life for someone else and have not love, it's meaningless. So there is a, there is a heart to the works. And if, if those works were an attempt to gain salvation, it does no good. That doesn't mean that people that are unsaved can't do good things. Sure they can. But the good things don't save them. The good things might bring them reward and honor in their life. It might secure uh, their life from um, destruction. Uh, certainly giving uh, with a heart toward helping others is productive for people even who are not saved. Doing good things for people, helping your neighbors, uh, uh, sacrificing your life for someone else. That's a good thing and it can have production, but it has nothing to do with your justification. Right? Good works for justification are meaningless. They produce nothing. That no one is saved by the good works they do in order to be justified. So, 
a person can be very good. A a philanthropist, that didn't roll out of my mouth the way I wanted it to today. A philanthropist, uh, a soldier, uh, a police officer, someone who's doing good for others, uh, civil action, a, a husband who's being good, a mother who's being good to her children or to her husband. So there's good that people can do, but it doesn't gain them salvation. They may be good people. Uh, they may be a blessing to the community, even to the world. But it gains nothing as far as salvation. They cannot be justified by good works. But only through faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul goes on to say. Not justified by works of the law, but through, you could put the word only, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So three times he says that in that verse. So yeah, I think we ought to get it. You can't be justified by works. You can be a good person. And it's, it's important that we be good people. But that doesn't get you saved. And as good as you want to be, those, those works don't count toward your salvation. Because if you did not believe in Jesus Christ, you're among the dead who are raised to life at the great white throne. Your works will be evaluated against the righteousness of of God and they hold no candle they don't come close there is no possible way that your life could be um, weighed that way now I, I said it wrong the other day the the Egyptian um, religion out of which this weighing your good against your bad uh, one of the most ancient religions of the world it was your good is measured against the weight of a feather so, um, yeah, you're going to lose because you're just not going to, you're not going to equal what is necessary. And so this is, this is the way that God wants us to uh, approach the world. We have a message, message of life. Good is good. And it's important that we be good people, good citizens, good husbands and wives, good children, good parents, good workers, good in our society, good in our culture. It's important that we be that, but it won't gain us eternal life. The only thing that brings justification being made righteous, that's what the word justified, made righteous. The only thing that brings justification is faith in Jesus Christ. Because only he was good enough. All the rest of our works are, as Isaiah says, filthy rags. Our blood stain of sin is incredible. incredible. We need to be washed white as wool and the only thing that can do that is the blood of jesus christ 
Titus chapter 2 says this about good works. Who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us that we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That means a people of his own. Uh, peculiar doesn't mean strange or different. It means a people that belong to him. His very own. A special purchase. A people of special purpose who are zealous for good works. So now here's another side of good works. There are works that people do that think that by those works they should be saved, but they can't be because those are good works that we're trying to do to gain salvation. Good works that we're, we're using to somehow lead unto salvation, and that cannot save us. It can bless the world, it can bless other people, but it will not get us saved. So, there are good works. Then after salvation, there's good works. So, doing good before we're saved gains us nothing with God. But after we're saved, we should be, as it says here in Titus, zealous of good works. That means hot, boiling. Zealous comes from the word which means to boil, fervent, boiling over, that we should be intensely seeking after good works. Now, in the Greek language, there's, there's two different words for good, and they can be used in numerous different ways. Um, I put these down here in your notes, two types of good. There's a Greek word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S, agathos, which is in, internal good or intrinsic good. It's good because it is. That's the, the vegetables you tell your children to eat that they don't want to eat. There's good in them, whether you like them or not, right? So there's good there. There's good that God wants uh, us to pursue, there's good. It's, it's good just because it is. Whether other people don't think it is, because it doesn't appear good, because it doesn't taste good, because it doesn't seem good, it doesn't sound good. It's agathos. The goodness is in it. People say, well, this, this thing that only Jesus Christ can save, that doesn't sound good. But it is agathos. That is the goodness of God who made a way for us to be saved, that he might redeem us. The phrase might means its potential. He gave himself so that he might. If he did not give himself, God could not redeem us. The might potential there has to do with the fact that he had to give himself. He had to surrender himself in order that we might be redeemed, because if he didn't, we could not be redeemed. And if you will not accept Jesus Christ, you cannot be redeemed. You say, that doesn't sound good, but it is. Agathos. And so he redeemed us so that we might be zealous of good works. Whether people think they're good or not, we witness to people and we tell them 
that only through Jesus Christ can they be saved. They don't think that's good. They may even take our life for that. Down through the, the, the history of the church, God's people have been persecuted, even in the Old Testament. The, the believers in the Messiah were persecuted by other religions, by other nations, because they said only through the Messiah can there be faith. The world said, we don't like that. That doesn't sound good. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't, doesn't feel good. And our world is real big on feeling right now. It doesn't feel right, but it is. And so we need to be zealous of good works, doing good things on behalf of people, on behalf of God, on behalf of our family, our society, our culture, doing good. If we're persecuted for it, so be it. I'm not asking for persecution. I certainly don't want to pursue it. But I want to be zealous for good works. And if being zealous for good works brings persecution because it doesn't sound good, feel good, taste good, look good, then let that be. Because the good works I'm doing are because I am a believer. We are zealous for good works. Zealous to produce. Zealous to show. Uh, we read those those passages. We could go back to uh, the passage in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and that word again is agathos. Created for good works. Works that are intrinsically good. Works that are uh, internally good. Works that that don't appear that way to the world. But they are. Uh, some translations even call this divine good. But the Greeks used it in other ways. But in the Bible, it pretty much has to do with divine good. So this is something that is of God. And so God has created us. We're his poem, his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. He put that in us. And now he wants us to put it out, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are good works that God has placed on the inside of us that we need to walk in. That means we need to bring it to the outside. Uh, so we have these beautiful passages in the scripture that talk about this. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Again, we said this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, God wants me to do good works. Things that are, are intrinsically good. But there's also another word for good. And if you go uh, down there on your uh, page four, types of works, uh, types of good. Uh, there's agathos, intrinsic, internal, divine. But there's also kalos, K-A-L-O-S, kalos. And kalos in, in Greek uh, is external good. That doesn't mean it's bad. It, what it means is it's work that can be observed, things that the world can see. Intrinsic good, maybe people don't see. They might see your heart. 
in it, but sometimes they turn up their nose. In Agathos, good can sometimes be rejected because it doesn't appear good. Kalos, on the other hand, is good on the outside. Now, this is the kind of thing that if you're not saved, these external good things are meaningless. I mean, they might be good for other people. They might help your neighbor or your children, community, but they won't gain you anything with God. They may be good-looking. They may be appealing. And that's the idea behind this Greek word, kalos, external good. What can be observed? This word could be translated noble or excellent or beautiful even. It's the word that they would use to say, well, that's, that's good. Um, I like photography. Many people look at some of my pictures and they say, that's good. We well, ought to see all the ones I don't post. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot more that I don't post. They're not so good. Uh, people look at it because they say, that's, that's beautiful. It's good. Um, the things that we should do in this life. And this word is used. You could get a concordance and run this through. Find the word kalos, good. Um, it can be translated noble or excellent. Uh, it's, it's good to the appearance. And you know what? As believers, we should do things that are good to the appearance. People ought to be able to see good that we're doing also. We do good things. And they come from where? They come from the life of God that's inside of us. So actually, when we go back to that passage in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, let's look at that. Titus two fourteen, up above there, who gave himself for us that we might redeem us from all iniquity, purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for that word good, is kalos. God wants us to be zealous to do things that the world considers good, beautiful, that people can be drawn to. Because when we do, it draws attention to God. So we do good things. Yeah, we do agathos, good, that may be accepted or not, may be acknowledged or not but we also do good you know as, as a church we we want to do good in this community um, the bible tells us that we should pray for those who are around us peter tells us time and again that we should do good in this life um, we need to do things that the world says yeah these people are good good to our neighbors good to our children not just the intrinsic good, agathos, but also kalos, the beautiful good, the noble, the excellent. This is the word that's found in, in uh, Timothy when it says that if a man desires to be a bishop, he, des he, he desires a good work. It's, it's kalos. Paul tells Timothy he needs to be a good soldier, kalos. He needs to be a soldier that can, can, shows that he's truly uh, honorable, so there is, there is good that's intrinsic. There's also good that's evident. And so we should do good to one another. 
time and again, this word kalos is used in reference to uh, our work of ministry or to uh, our treating of other people. So, yes, we want the agathos good, we want the kalos good. But you see, those come because of our salvation. They issue forth from salvation. Unbelievers may do good works that they think will gain them salvation. But we produce good works from our salvation. So this is, this is the, the idea of, of the good works that we can do. James chapter 2, um, beautiful passage that shows the, the contrast in these two things. Some people say, well, James believed in salvation by works. Paul believed in salvation by faith. Uh, you got that wrong. Because Paul said, after we're saved, work, do something, walk. So Paul likes to use the word walk as far as, as referencing the activity of the believer in re- reference to society, culture, family. Walk out your salvation. Work out your salvation. But Titus 2, 4 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Oh, sorry, wrong verse. James 2, 18. James 2, 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So James says, yeah, you, you say it's faith, or I say it's faith, I, you say it's works, however that goes. You have faith, I have works. But James is saying, yeah, but if you have faith, it should work. And your works should be a result of your faith. I'll show you my faith. How? By my works. My faith will produce works. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. He's referring here to Abraham. So, did Abraham work for his salvation? No. The Bible says he did what? He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith was counted as righteousness. But did Abraham work? Yeah. His faith caused him to do things. Out of his faith, he did things, sacrificed his son when God told him to, followed where God led him, listened to God's voice. So Abraham's faith produced works, and his works were the result of faith that was on the inside. So also us, agathos works, intrinsic good works come out of us because of our salvation because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So also noble works, kalos type works, works that can be seen, works that appear to people, works that are beautiful, works that are attractive. Those things draw people. We want to have a good family life so that we can be a model, quote, in our society, the Bible tells us that we should live out our Christianity. We should endeavor to be uh, imitators of God. 
as dear children. There ought to be external showing proof of the salvation that's on the inside of us. So these are, uh, these are the things that God wants out of our life. Good works. Not works trying to gain salvation because all of that will be evaluated at the great white throne and none of it will be effective. You'll be evaluated by your works and condemned to eternal hell. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the works that you do will bring rewards out of salvation that's on the inside of us, out of the gift that God has given to us, out of the spirit that God has placed within us, we do works that show our salvation, that show our faith. We give. doesn't matter how much. It matters the motive, the desire, the interest of our heart. We give. We help. We love. All of those things become good works. Agathos, kalos. Sometimes they go together. Now, the bottom half of your fourth page, I, I talk about crowns because at the reward seat of Christ, um, there will be honor. Gold, silver, precious stone will be rewarded. If you built with gold, silver, precious stone, there will be rewarded. Built with wood, hay, and stubble, that burns up. It's gone. Um, so I, I, I don't think... No one is going to stand there with only wood, hay, and stubble. And no one is going to stand there with only gold, silver, and precious stone. What we did, wrong motives, what we did for ourselves, what we did, you know, in, in a way of maybe out of fellowship with the Lord and we were doing things, but we weren't really doing them in faith, we weren't doing them in love, um, all those things. So we'll have gold, silver, and precious stone, every one of us, and we'll have wood, hay, and stubble, every one of us. The wood, hay, stubble gets burned up. Uh, I don't know where the fire is, but somehow fire will judge all of it. That is the fiery presence of God, not the fire of hell. It is not the fire of eternal damnation. We don't stand before that. It is the glorious fire that is in the very presence of God. And so all of the wrong is removed. And as we stand at the Bema, only the things that were done, gold, silver, and precious stone are rewarded. And what are the rewards? Well, all we can see is what the scripture gives us um, there are positions. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that even the stars have different levels of glory. So even as we, as believers, stand before God in heaven, there'll be one level of glory compared to another level of glory, uh, just as the stars have different colors, different levels of brightness, different magnitude. Um, Sometimes it's based on the size of the of the sun the, that makes the star. Sometimes it's the size of the galaxy that is that is 
creating what we call a star. Um, and in that, there will obviously be levels of authority, levels of position. But you know, they're all in the presence of God. They're all right there before God. Old Testament saints raised up are going to be the servants of the Lord. We, the church, are the children of God. But we're all together in heaven. And yeah, there may be different levels of positioning, different levels of authority uh, that we see during the time of the millennium. But after the millennium, the new heaven, new earth, there, there doesn't seem to be anything to rule. We will be with God forever. Will there be levels of, of reward? Possibly. There's different crowns. And we'll see these, but we're given very little information on that. So all we can say is, just as Paul argued there in 1 Corinthians 15, that even among the stars, there are different levels of, of glory. But when we come to the crowns, we can see. Now this seems to be what will be given in response to... Um, our life here on earth, how we have done on earth. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, uh, there's a, the whole section here that Paul goes through this, um, and he talks about uh, laboring for the Lord, talks about uh, his work for the Lord. Um, it comes down finally in verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Now, I'm not, I'm not running against other believers. I'm running against myself, my own flesh. My tendency is not to want to do the things of God and my, my fulfillment of the things that God has asked of me. In the race all run, run so as to win. Don't run just to be in the crowd. Run to win. Again, I've related my my experience in high school of being a quarter mile, 440 runner. Today, 400 meter. Um, you have to run with with everything you have. We call it guts out. You, you just you run so as to win. I never ran to come in last place or even run to come in second. I wanted to win. It's so you run with purpose. And that's an illustration of how we should live our life, running with purpose. But only one gets the prize. I, I'm running against my flesh, not my brothers, my sisters, not my, my, my wife, not other ministers. Uh, I'm running against my own flesh. Paul's going to enlarge on that here in a minute. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It's self-control. They do it to receive a perishable crown. The word wreath is actually the word crown. A crown that perishes. It was a laurel wreath. So we use the word wreath. Stephanos was the word that's used here, but it has to do with a laurel wreath. But a laurel wreath fades and, and it gets brittle. You know, how many have saved, you know, some flowers from, you know, some special occasion and you save them? Maybe you, you preserve them, but still they're very fragile. If you touch them, they, they break apart. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we one that is imperishable. A crown 
will not decay, it will not degenerate, it will not uh, waste away, it will not break, it will not fail. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I'm not going to run, just get out there and run aimlessly, wild, just down the track. No, from the time that gun sounded, it was guts out. You run as hard as you can. My coach made me run in training, every day in training, maybe run 15 yards past the finish line before I would come to my slowdown so that I learned to run through the tape, not just to it, through it. Run guts out. I don't run aimlessly. Then Paul changes the the analogy, goes over to boxing. I don't box as one beating the air. Uh, if you put me in a boxing arena, I would just be beating the air. What that means is all, I, my, my blows are not striking. I am not... I'm not having any effect on my opponent. Um, I'm beating the air. I'm not trained. Um, my first few blows, I might be able to hit his fists, but you'd be surprised how quickly you become fatigued in a boxing ring. Uh, that's why these runners, the boxers, they run, they do these exercises over and over because you don't want to just beat the air because while you're beating the air, your opponent is beating you. And so this analogy is you got to you got to be trained you got to be into it be a of purpose but here comes the thing this is how I know we're not running against other people but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified as I live my entire life done everything that I've done, Paul said, and I get to heaven, and I'm there, I'm on the Bama seat, uh, but all my rewards were wood, hay, and stubble. I'm disqualified, I'm dishonored. I'm there, but I don't want everything that I have done to have been done only to gain a name or to gain position or to gain wealth. I don't want that. I want it to have effect on people's lives. And the only way I can do that is to keep my body under. See, I'm working, I'm running against my own tendency to fail. So in receiving these crowns, we are running against our own tendency. Um, I want to build with gold, silver, and precious stone, but i got to labor against my flesh. Because if I give in to my flesh, if I give in to my emotions, give in sometimes to my own intellect or my own will, I'll build with wood, hay, and stubble. And then it will not be effective in eternity. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning these crowns, Paul says, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting? What is the crown in which I'm going to boast of? How much I did? That I was an apostle? That I wrote half of the New Testament? That I am honored above all? That I was the most prolific preacher? That I was the best teacher? That I knew more Greek than anybody? Well, maybe except Paulus. What is my boasting? My position? How, how, how much people knew my name? 
What is my boasting? What is my boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? So here we're talking about the reward seat. What's my boasting? You. That's what I boast about. You are my hope. You're my glory. You're my joy. It's you. That's what I boast about. Seeing you in heaven. Seeing people that I witnessed to. Seeing people that I ministered to. When I can stand in heaven and see those people. I went to China 18 times. Gave out tens of thousands of Bibles. I just want to see those people in heaven. A pastor that I trained, a pastor that received instruction and went back to his village and did good, I just don't see that in heaven. I Just to know that they were productive, that they received, that they did something meaningful. That's my boasting. What I've done for my family, what I've done in witnessing. 38 years I've served this church in this position. People say, don't you ever want to, you know, go to the next step, maybe become a pastor or travel ministry? I love what I'm doing. I love training believers. I love helping other believers. I love ministering to families in their time of need. That's that's what I do. (laughs) You. You, at the Lord's coming, you are my glory and my joy. That's what I boast in. James 1 says, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is simply a believer's crown. That's all I can refer to it as, a crown of life, crown of Zoe, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. Jesus said, Revelation 2, verse 10, Do not fear. What you're about to suffer, this is the words he gave to a church under severe persecution. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into the prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. You're not going to come out of this. Well, that's a hard word. Really? Be faithful to the point of death. I'll give you a crown of life. The world may take their physical life. There are many believers in the world today that are under severe persecution and have been down through the centuries of the church. We want to say, well, if they just knew who they were, if they just had faith, that no, there's some places that you're called to. You have to be willing to do it unto death. But Jesus says, <laughs> you get a crown of life. Now, for most of us, we can't, we can't perceive living as a martyr 
giving and facing that kind of thing. But you see, God gives them a grace in that hour. Peter says in First Peter 4, I don't have the verse in front of me, but God gives them grace at the time of their need. There is, a, there is a way that God brings these believers through. And though the world might take their life, <laughs> God gives them a crown of life. Again, they're believers. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Here's a church that is very productive. This is the church at at Philadelphia. What does he mean, may seize your crown? It means that you won't get what you have labored for. It doesn't mean people are going to, you're not going to get to heaven. It means that under the time of tribulation and pressure, which he's just made mention of, again, to the church at, at uh, Philadelphia, even though it's a very powerful church, they're coming under some tribulation, and he says, don't let anyone seize your crown. Don't let people take away the honor, the reward that is yours, because you stood. And again, it has to do with standing through persecution. We think of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They said, yeah, you may burn us in the fire. And even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow. There's a crown. There's a crown. Don't let anyone seize your crown. Don't back up. Under pressure, don't give in. Don't let anyone take the reward. Remember, crown is a reward, not your eternal life. This is not they're going to lose their eternal life. doesn't say that. Don't read that into it. Hold fast. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we already read this verse, for every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a crown that is perishable, a wreath, Stephanos, but we for an imperishable one. And Paul also says in 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The rules are not the law. The rules are the ways of the Spirit, following the things of the Spirit. Unless unless you follow the ways of God, you will not receive the reward. You don't do it for self-effort You don't or self-interest. You don't do it for, for self-glory. You do it, as Paul said in Thessalonians, <laughs> you are my crown of boasting. I want to see you standing there before the Lord. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is the day of Christ, the day of the rapture. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Just because we love the coming of the Lord, just because we desire and look for the coming of the Lord, there is a crown for that. Because we're not giving in to the world's pressure. We're not giving in to the world's ways. And so there is an honor 
gold, silver, precious stone that we are building, even as we are looking for, longing for, loving the Lord's appearance, there's a crown, an honor that is given because you did. First Peter 5, 4 it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is a lesson to the pastors, a lesson to those who are called into ministry. There is a, a crown of glory that is given, a crown of honor that is given for leading the flock, being an, an, an example to the flock, not doing it out of self-interest or for money. Peter says that. But willingly, out of a commitment, a call that God has placed upon our life. And then finally, Revelation 14. Now, although this passage uh, refers directly to believers under the tribulation, it, it, the principle applies to all who um, who have believed in the Lord, Old Testament saints, all the way through uh, the New Testament believers of the church, all through the tribulation saints uh, of the tribulation, and on through the millennium, this passage applies. Revelation fourteen thirteen, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Write this: Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord." From now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their works, their deeds, their works, follow them. Their works are going to be rewarded. Unlike the dead who stand there before the great white throne, their works are going to condemn them. Our works are going to follow unto reward. There will be a time for reward. I believe the time for reward for the New Testament believer is at the day of the rapture, the day of Christ. Paul says on that day. I believe that it occurs on that day. For the Old Testament saints, when they are raised up at the end of the tribulation, and the dead Old Old Testament saints are are prepared, those who believed are raised and, and prepared to enter into the millennium, there'll be a reward for them. All those. And then here, specifically, these tribulation saints, those who served during the time of the tribulation, many of them giving their life. The dead who die in the Lord from now on. Severe time of persecution in the last half of the tribulation. Blessed indeed. They rest from their labors. Again, this is a spiritual principle. Once we have died in this physical life, our labor is ended, and all that remains is the rewards that we will receive. Those rewards are represented as crowns. What do we do with those crowns? Wear them around? Bring glory to ourselves? I forgot to put these passages down, but there are numbers of times the Bible talks about the saints casting their crowns. I believe the casting of the crowns has to do with the bowing of the heads. 
presenting to God. Yeah, I got rewarded. I've got this crown because I did with what you gave me. And I used it to build gold, silver, and precious stone. But it is all to your glory. Every work I do is to his glory. My crown of boasting is not in me. It's in him. And so all I have, all I can do, is minister out of what God has given me, serve out of God has given me, love out of what God has given me, help, give out of what God has blessed me with. And I will take my crown and cast it at his feet. That he might be glorified in me. So there it is. Great white throne. All who appear will face eternal damnation. But the reward seat of Christ, a place of honor where we who have served the Lord will receive for what we have done in his name through his power, through his ability, through the spirit he has given us so that we might honor the Lord with our life. Father, I thank you for the promise of your spirit, the promise of your gifting, the promise of your ability that you have filled us with life. Father, we look forward not only to what you do through us in this life, but Father, we look forward to standing on that great plain before you in the presence of your throne and looking upon all that has been done through your name, rejoicing that all the glory goes to you. Thank you for our eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.